Hello, hello. My name is Daniel, and this is the Engineering Success Podcast, episode 45. For those of you that have been following along live today, this is take three. We tried take one this morning when I was wearing baby E. More about that later. We tried take two, and I forgot to check my audio. That's embarrassing. And now we're on take three, and hopefully this will be the last take of episode 45. So anyways, yes, I alluded to it, but yes, since the last episode, I have become a father. So first off, shout out to our top tier supporter, John Ott. Thank you, John, for your support of the podcast, even though I haven't posted an episode over the last month. But that's because, well, we I became a dad, so baby E is more than 12 weeks old now, so it's been almost three months last episode i was recording the day that we actually went to the hospital cool enough and then baby e was born the next day but uh yeah it's been a long period of time since the last episode and since then we've moved to charlotte we are no longer in new orleans r.i.p pouring out from new orleans but very exciting that we're in charlotte and at the same time uh very exciting to have a new office set up here we have a nice little two-bedroom house that we converted our den into a bedroom. So what would have been our bedroom is now our office, and, and that's what I'm using to record the podcast. We have a nice little setup here. So baby E is eating, and I am recording the podcast. So anyways, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else for the intro stuff? You know, my intro on the second take was definitely better than this intro, but we're just going to roll with it. Uh, remember, though, uh, if you want to be a top-tier supporter, $10 a month gets you at the list, read it off at the beginning of every single episode with John Ott. Thank you, John, for your support of the podcast. Earlier today, I was wearing my Rashawn Slater jersey. Uh, I'm no longer wearing it because I have since mowed the lawn and taken a shower. But NFL season is about to start, and I want to give a big shout out to supporter of the pod, friend of the pod, Rashawn Slater. Have a good season this year with the Chargers. And if you know me, you know I'm a Steelers fan, so I hope the Steelers have a good season as well. College football's going on. Colorado looks like they just got their second win, and uh, unfortunately, their first win came against my TCU Horn Frogs. But that's okay. That's okay. But yeah, lots of lots of good things going on. Becoming a dad has become a has been a very transformative experience. That's for sure. I am a completely different person with new experiences and new perspectives on things that I've never had before. And it's safe to say that my outlook on life has definitely evolved and, and changed in many ways since becoming a father, but it's been a blessing nonetheless. All right. Well, let's get into the podcast. We're going to start the podcast out with our recurring segment. As always, we start the podcast out with this week in LinkedIn Lunatics. Or in this instance, four months ago in LinkedIn Lunatics, as I actually scripted this episode about four months ago. But here we are. Here we are. So this is a post on LinkedIn, and the person posted this in the LinkedIn Lunatics subreddit, and they captioned their post, I miss when LinkedIn used to be a boring job site. I do too. All right, here's the post. Hey, guys. Valentine's Day is around the corner, and I wanted to share some Valentine's Day outfit ideas which could help you decide what to wear on this special day. 
check out the video on my YouTube channel. Leave a comment on the video and let me know which outfit was your favorite. Don't forget to like and subscribe to my YouTube channel for more such videos. It will mean a lot. So obviously, uh, LinkedIn used to be a boring job site, and this post is about nothing related to jobs. But, you know, if you asked me a year ago, I would have said 10 out of 10 LinkedIn lunatic, but I'll give them a 5 on this one because while they're job title is engineering at meta and their post has nothing to do with engineering at meta or engineering in general or a career in general it seems that youtubing is their kind of side career maybe their passion and i understand whenever you're trying to get into youtube you want to post your content everywhere you possibly can and that is obviously what this woman is doing and it's a calculated decision, right? She is sacrificing her engineering brand, her career brand as an engineer at Meta to promote her podcast or not, not just kidding. I'm talking for myself to promote her YouTube channel. And that's the decision that she's making. And the reality is, is that some people will look at that and say, mm, I don't want to see that content. And then either mute her or block her or remove her as a connection on LinkedIn. Other people will see it and they'll say, oh, I want to support her and I want to watch her video. And that is a calculated decision that she's made. And I don't make the same decision. I I will very rarely post my YouTube content on my LinkedIn and only if it's tied to a more generic career post that I'm making. But I do not automatically share every single one of my YouTube videos or YouTube videos on LinkedIn. I do share the podcast episodes, but I do not share every YouTube video. If I did, it would be like, three four videos a day and i just can't do that but i do i do do i do that on x slash twitter and facebook and instagram i just do not do that on linkedin because for me linkedin is focused on my primary career development and and what i do for professionally and not for my youtube ventures but again other people might look at this and say LinkedIn lunatic, and I understand why they feel that way. But for me personally, I can understand why she's making the decision. I don't make the same decision, but I understand why she's making it. And I'll give her a five out of 10 on that, even though she's posting about Valentine's Day outfit ideas on LinkedIn. All right, next one is a doozy. So let's share the screen. Lunatics are trying to take advantage of laid off tech workers. Some lunatics are trying to take advantage of laid off tech workers. This dude just wants people to work for him for free. And the audacity of him saying, let's do a real world software development project together. 300, sorry, 3,400 people, 3,450 people posted their emails believing that this guy will deliver them a job on a platter. I feel sorry for many of those desperate engineers. It is tough out there for the tech folks now. All right. So again, four months ago, we had major layoffs in the tech industry. A lot of software developers lost their jobs. And this guy made a post and said, quote, there are no jobs in the market. I am tired of online applications, end quote, uh, emoji. Is this your situation? Pondering emoji. If yes, let's change the rule of the game. Sunglasses wearing emoji. I am helping F5, Outliant, Paramount, Regent Modus Operandi, and a few other companies hire software developers. AKA he's a recruiter that makes money off of referring people. 
as a recruiter. Let's do a real-world software development project together on LinkedIn Live. Real world. Okay. Prove your skills and passion for software development in this project, and I will refer you directly to the recruiters. And like, fire emoji. Like, that's what he's already doing anyways. Okay. Uh, Hand-pointing emoji. There are jobs for both entry-level and experienced people. If you're interested, comment your email ID below, down-pointing emoji, and my team will share details. It will be a two-week project, and you will work in a team of three to four people from different countries slash backgrounds. Apart from getting an interview call, this project has a few other benefits. Okay, you get an interview call out of doing this job, this real-world software development project for this guy. Apart from getting that, you get a certification if you complete the project trophy emoji and there will be $40 Amazon gift cards to the top three teams. So you can split a $40 Amazon gift card with your three to four people on your team. Let's go rocket emoji, rocket emoji, rocket emoji, hashtag hiring, hashtag referrals, and then more hashtags than I care to even look at at all. Well, you have to hand it to this guy. I mean, he has taken a situation where people, some people are desperate. Some people have lost their jobs. And he said, oh, well, what can I do as a recruiter to make money, get a work product, and underpay people for the work product? And he has created this scheme. I, It's it kind of sad that 3,450 people have signed up to this scheme because he's going to underpay them for their work. He's going to refer them which is he was going to do anyways, get his little nice little referral bonus. And uh, these people will have worked for free for him. So I have to hand it to the guy. It's it's quite a hustle. It's quite impressive that he came up with this and got actually people to buy into it. But I definitely would not do, would not participate in this as an engineer. Let's read the comments. Ooh. A certification. Yeah, that certification is probably useless. A gift card worth a whole $40. Got a stars in my eyes for this big roller. Not to mention that that gift card is by team, so you're $10. He's spending $120 for all this fine work that he'll be getting in his dreams. And all those teams will have to split the $40, I'm sure. Next comment says, he was like, should I go on Upwork? Nah, I'm going to go full exploitation. Next post, he'll be offering anything off the McDonald's dollar menu, limit to items as compensation. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's not, not what I would participate in. It's kind of embarrassing. So yeah, I, I, I'd say definitely he's definitely trying to take advantage of people that were laid off. He's definitely trying to take advantage of people that were laid off. Um, there's a quote from The Big Short. He is so transparent in his own self-interest that you have to respect it. I see right through it. I hope other people do. I hope nobody's really spent that much time on this. It's embarrassing. And no, don't. Again, we don't work for free. We don't work for free. Repeat after me. We don't work for free. Exposure doesn't pay the bills. So we don't work for free. All right. Next one is captioned. Cool story, bro. 
All right, here we go. Nat says, I like to watch porn. Yeah, I admit it. And I'm sure many of you out there have seen your fair share. But why am I bringing this up? For two reasons. One, because no topic is off limits. And two, because it's, be, it's, because it's important to be aware of indulgences in your life. There are some things that need to be done in moderation. For some, including myself, porn is one of them. Be very aware of the things that, if you do too much, cause more harm than good. Carry on. Found on Instagram. slash, But it's a definitely a LinkedIn post. All right, Nat. I don't think that's their full name. If you were just trying to get as much exposure as possible, props to you. You probably got a lot of exposure on this one. But this is just not a topic that I would talk about on LinkedIn. My general rule of thumb is I like to keep my LinkedIn content as safe for work as any other thing I'd be doing at work. And this topic is something that I would not be including on my LinkedIn for that very reason. There's something about developing a network. And and while whatever, you can make a statement that's true, and maybe Nate or Nat's statement is true. I'm not going to speak for other people or for myself. Maybe that's true. But just because something is true and doesn't mean it's appropriate to talk about on LinkedIn. So just, just because it's a true story about yourself, buddy, does not mean that you can post on LinkedIn. I think he was going for the shock and awe kind of approach. And I am definitely shocked that that got posted on LinkedIn. They, they, they teach investors how to grow digital real estate portfolios. Well, digital real estate, that's, that's a whole other um, private hole of digital real estate. Anywho, this is a... I wish them the best of luck. Let's read the comments real quick. <laughs> it's the carry on for me. It's the I like to watch porn for me. WTF has LinkedIn come to. Yeah, we know what this guy comes to. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, this is. Is digital real estate portfolio just buzzwords for buying domain names and hoping somebody wants them? And then somebody says, I think he's referring to metaverse real estate, which makes it even worse. He sells property in Second Life. Yeah, come on, man. Not. Not ideal. Not ideal. I. I would just be embarrassed to have a post like this tied to me. I. I don't know why you'd make this post on LinkedIn. Come on, people. There are certain topics that are okay for LinkedIn, and there's certain topics that aren't. If you wouldn't talk about the topic at church or at work, for example, maybe don't post it out to all of your colleagues and connections on LinkedIn. All right. Well, that was LinkedIn Lunatics. I don't know if you can tell, but I am tired. That's what being a dad is like. So I'm going to take a quick breather, grab some coffee, and I'll be right back with our first round of questions. This time, we're going to talk about engineering college questions. All right. All right, and we're back. 
let's go with engineering college questions. This one is captioned, is engineering really difficult everywhere? I'm from Nepal. Engineering here is considered to be the hardest degree. More than 90% of students fail at least one subject throughout their undergrad. I have failed in 15 across different semesters. The reason behind everyone, almost everyone failing is that evaluation here is completely exam dependent. Assignments, quizzes, presentations, projects, apart from the final semester, is negligible. So you can absolutely suck at everything, but you can wrote, but can wrote learn. You can be a good engineer, which in my opinion is an unfair way of evaluation. Also, there are no internships included in the curriculum and no placement opportunities. And when you graduate, the starting salary is about $150 monthly, which is a disgrace in itself. Anyway, rant over. The question I have now, is that the same case in other countries, particularly in the first world countries? Do you guys fail as well? Is engineering completely exam oriented? I'm really curious about this. Thank you. So let's answer the first question. Is engineering really exam oriented? I'd say yes. I'd say... The majority of my engineering coursework, at a minimum, 70% of my grade was dependent on exam scores. And at a maximum, I had classes where 90 to 100% of my grade was dependent on exam scores. Now, that being said, there were a lot of curves. So professors would write exams and the average score would be like a 55. And then that 55 would get curved up to like a 90. Sorry, not a 90, like a 70. You'd curve that up to a 70 and then you go from there. So, I mean... Is it really that difficult everywhere and very exam-oriented? I say yes. Now, you said, are there inter internships included in the curriculum? There were not any internships included in my curriculum, though my university did have resources to encourage. They encouraged students to get internships, and they had resources to somewhat help students getting their internships. Other universities have included co-ops as part of their program where they'll get make sure that their students have at least one internship is required. For them to graduate and that co-op is during one of their semesters so again internships weren't included and weren't required as part of my program but they were they are required for some engineering programs and then whenever it comes to salary starting engineer salaries in the u.s are definitely reasonable i'd say that right now in a medium cost of living area you're probably going to expect to get plus or minus $70,000 a year, which is more than enough for a young person with minimal obligations to live off of. So engineering, very exam-oriented, yes, in the U.S. I'd say it's also, again, no guaranteed internships unless you pick a college that has a co-op program, which I would highly recommend looking upon that favorably and maybe seeking out a university that has that because getting those internships on your under your belt will definitely make it easier for you to get a job in industry from when you graduate and then uh, the compensation is it's pretty good it's above it's definitely above average for starting salaries for people coming out of college so that's been my experience so is engineering really difficult everywhere i'd say yes that's a general understood thing that engineering is just difficult it's challenging but you can get through it and i'm i hope that uh, you get through it and i wish you the best of luck all right next question how much does school involvement matter hi everyone i study in the u.s lately i've been feeling down since i'm not as active in student organizations and those sorts of things I did just complete in the concrete canoe just this last month. 
I've been active for the past year on certain different things, but at the end of the day with schoolwork and my part-time job at an engineering firm, it gets really exhausting. I know most of it is for growth and networking, but how really important is it to excel in my career and be amongst the top achievers? I'm a junior now, and I already have over four years of part-time design experience. I have participated as a president of an organization where I took my team overseas for a communitarian project. I've spoken here and there to a lot of people in the industry to raise funds, etc. I try to be active. What more should I do? Still, I don't feel like I'm as great of a leader as I see some of my peers do. I want to go far in life. I just feel a little bit lost at the moment. Any tips or feedback is very appreciated. I'd say that school involvement matters to the extent that you get out of it. I'd say it's kind of, a for me, being involved in student clubs and organizations was kind of a means to end. I wanted to have that on my resume so that I, that I could get a good internship. And then once I had a good internship, I was still involved in the clubs. I didn't quit them, and I just stayed involved as an officer in them. And that was just for me. And also for the just the I, I saw value in what the club provided to campus and to other engineering students. So that's why I stayed involved. Now, how much does it matter for you personally? Well, you already have part-time job experience. You've worked as an engineering intern. So you don't necessarily need that student involvement on your resume to get that first internship you already have it under your belt and you've already been involved in the student club so i'd say it's not for you at this point it's not that important unless you get something else out of it i wouldn't stress over it i wouldn't go out of your way to add extra school involvements and extra clubs uh the fact that you've already been a president of a club is impressive and probably more than most people can say for their experience um, and then again, that four years of part-time design experience really stands out more to me than involvement with any club. So in general, if you're trying to, if you're an engineering student and you're trying to figure out how to spend your time, if you haven't ever had an internship yet before, and you kind of feel generally lost about how to approach engineering in general in college, the clubs are great. You have older people that are in your program that are in those clubs that can share their experiences with you. Maybe also get you, uh, the clubs generally host networking events. You can go to the club networking events. Those are all great things. Uh, but once you kind of have that internship and you already kind of know what you're doing, if the club doesn't really help you grow towards the things you want to do after you graduate, then it's not really going to matter that much. I mean, it might look okay on the resume, but by the time you've worked in industry for a few years, it's just going to be a footnote or no longer even be on your resume anymore. I don't even know if I still have my ASME involvement on uh, my resume anymore. I don't think I do. And I was also involved in IEEE and SWE, and I don't think you can see those anywhere on my LinkedIn or my resume. And I spent a lot of time doing those things. So I'd, I'd say that school involvement does matter to the extent that you are building that resume to get that first internship, that first job. But if you already have other things on your resume, like you know, other internships or other work experiences, then it's not as crucial for you to do that. It's kind of one of those things that you want to have an internship on your resume. But if you don't have an internship, maybe have research experience. And if you don't have research experience, maybe also have club involvement. Um, but I mean, again, it, it's just one of those things where it's not the end of the world. But if you don't have anything else, it's good to have on your resume. And club involvement would theoretically lead to other experiences through that networking that you've already referred to. So don't don't obsess over trying to get more experience. Don't obsess over trying to get more involvement. You already have more than enough. All right. Well, that was our college questions. Now we are going 
to move into the career questions. This one is tired. New hires. I have been working at this company for almost three years, passed my PE exam, but we hired an intern and I've been training him. He is a good friend of mine and he's leaving to grad school in a few months. I just found out and this pisses me off. He is making more than me and I'm training him. And you've passed your PE exam. How we got here was we went to lunch and made a joke that I don't make as much as he does to buy a freezer. He said, you should. My hourly pay is at $35 an hour. I was in complete shock. I'm salary and my hourly rate comes out to $33 an hour and I have more experience than him and am training him. I told him what my pay was and he was even shocked. I asked him if he negotiated it as I tried to back then but got denied. He said, nope, they just offered me that amount. I started applying for new jobs elsewhere last night because I don't know if this is something I can bring up to my employer or not because but it pisses me off how I'm working more training but getting less pay. He worked for us for about six months, graduated, and then came to work full-time for us until he goes to grad school, where he will be part-time. Anyone else dealt with this? I'm hoping to get interviews with other firms, but it may be a while before I hear back. So this was posted in May of 2023, and this person had been working at this company for about three years. What happened from 2020 to 2023? Inflation. Yeah. Yeah, lots of inflation happened from 2020 to 2023. So the market rates for entry-level engineers and new hires went up. And it sounds like this person's employer, probably using COVID as an excuse, halted raises during that same time. So the other new employees came in higher. And then they also didn't get raises to catch them up to the new employees coming in. And companies just do that. And that's why it's so important that if you if you want to... If you want to make sure that you're getting paid market value to have those candid and professional conversations with your with your colleagues, if you want to make more money, talk to your coworkers and see what they're making. But don't get upset about it whenever you talk to them about it. Don't get upset at them. They are, again, they are operating in their own best interest. They're operating to do the best they can for themselves and their family and their own future. So you should never resent your coworkers for making more money than you. That being said, that is a data point. This person here has gathered a data point. They said, oh, my company values entry-level engineers at a higher dollar amount than I'm getting paid right now. So yes, I would have that conversation. Now, I wouldn't throw your friend under the bus. But the next time you have a one-on-one with your manager, and you should be having them often, even if your manager doesn't schedule them, Schedule them yourselves, either monthly, bi-weekly, weekly, whatever frequency you find appropriately. Make sure that you're checking in regularly with your manager to talk about not only your career develop, not, not only your day-to-day stuff, but also your career development. And in that conversation about your career development, you can say, hey, so I am aware that the entry-level engineering salary may be a little bit higher than what I'm making right now. I've passed my PE exam. Um, was I supposed to get a raise for passing my PE exam? Yeah, you should have. Uh, hey, or just say, hey, I, I, I've gone to the market and somebody with my engineering experience and salary is worth X. What are, What's the timeline for me to start making that working here? And just be positive about it. You know, don't don't push your manager too hard, but, you know, start that conversation. And And they may say, oh, there's no path, but at least you know, right? Or, you know, positive, best case scenario, they say, oh, yeah, that's that's really what you should be worth. Let's see what we can do to get you there. But the reality is, is that 
what what will most likely happen is they will say no can do and then you'll know okay all right well let me stick my foot out the door and start applying elsewhere and and then there you know and then you come back and, and you can show hey here's this offer i got for making xyz more can you match it and they say yes we can match it and then you leave anyways because if you if you're gonna offer your company a salary and ask them to match it you better be really ready to leave for that other job anyways um but yeah, you've been working there for three years and a new a new hire is making more than you. I've done a video about that before. It is not as uncommon as you think you do. Companies don't do as good of a job of giving annual increases as they do as updating their entry level salaries to match entry level salaries in the market in general. So if your company is not doing regular wage adjustments, if you're not getting promoted, if you're just getting those small annual increases, you will get passed up by other people. So it's important that you either work for promotions, you advocate for yourself to get your salary up, or you skip hop from company to company to, if you want to stay tuned with salary adjustments and, and stay in line with other people's salaries. Otherwise, you will fall behind. And at that point, that's the decision you're making because you should know that. And if you don't know it, you know it now. All right, next question. Which fields of study in electrical engineering are related to construction? I'm planning to get my bachelor degree in electrical engineering after I get out of the military. I was planning to go in the, the field that's related to construction electrician, but I don't know what field of study is that. So first of all, construction electrician, that's different than electrical engineer. You don't need to go to engineering school to become a construction electrician. You would need to go be a helper, then work your way up to journeyman electrician, and then you have a career in electrician or in construction. And if you want to do that, that's a great career. Start out as a helper, a laborer, and helping an electrician. You train under them. You get your licenses and then you get become a journeyman electrician and you make good money you can make per diem when you're working but if you weren't working construction in industry you're going to be moving around a lot traveling probably living out of trailers or apartments while maintaining a home base but really you're going to live your life on the road but you're going to make good money uh, because of that per diem while you're doing it or you work in as, as a construction electrician in a metropolitan area you don't get per diem but you great make good money and then you make good career as an electrician. If you want to be an electrical engineer, though, you can still work in construction. What I'd say is just get a electrical engineering degree. They're very versatile. And then you could become a field electrical engineer or a electrical planner. Electrical planners, what they do is they work with the field engineers and the engineers in the office that are drawing up engineering drawings and they work with the superintendents in the field that are directing crews of electricians and what they do is they will look at work with the schedule they make sure that the electricians out in the field have everything they need to do to build their electrical packages their build route whatever line of cable they need to run or um it's mainly it. Whatever line of run a cable they need to run out in the field or splices they need to make out in the field interconnections they need to make out in the field and then uh, you're a planner, you make a good, you make good living, you make per diem as an electrical engineer, but it's more kind of a mini project management role. Or you can become a field engineer and you are collaborating with electrical engineers in the office and superintendents out the field to solve problems that people are dealing with in the industry. Uh, maybe out in the field, for example, maybe 
this thing doesn't line up. And the, the superintendent says, hey, this doesn't line up. And you say, oh, you're right. It doesn't line up. And then you, you're the one that kind of brokers that conversations with the engineers back in the office to say, hey, we're experiencing this problem in the field. We need to change the drawings. We need to reroute this line of cable. We need to run this conduit somewhere else. And you're working with the other engineers to, to get those plans updated. And, and that's a great career as an electric, electrician in construction. Or you can work in an office. So again, a lot of construction companies have office engineers. Usually those construction companies are what we call either design build or EPC, engineer procure construct firms. And they have electrical engineers that are working on construction projects, but they work from out of an office. And they are doing the the engineering studies to evaluate the feasibility of a facility. They'll do the preliminary planning, preliminary drawings, set specifications for a facility, and then they'll take it from that preliminary phase to actually doing detailed engineering where they're taking the, those preliminary concepts and specifications and actually building the plant digitally. They'll build the plant model and then they'll actually run the conduit, run the cable, they'll run the power, they'll develop the the power um, needs for different pieces of equipment as an electrical engineer and uh, get the uh, the circuit routings and the one-line diagrams, et cetera, et cetera, required to actually build those facilities. And then they'll also follow through construction. Either some of them will go out to the field or they'll also be designing things in the engineering and helping develop the construction engineering documents. We call them issued for construction drawings that the superintendents and the journeymen and the the helpers out in the field will actually build to out in the field. So there's multiple ways with an electrical engineering degree that you can get involved in construction. There's not really a specific field that you need to study. You just need to get an electrical engineering degree, but it is a very great career, very great field. And there's definitely a bunch of different opportunities to work as an electrical engineer in construction. So that is a really good question. And something that I am really passionate about as somebody who spent the last year out in the field working with field engineers as an engineer. So, all right. Next question in career questions. We have three more questions. Boss ignoring PTO request. I'm seeking advice. I submitted a PTO request to my supervisor for a few days off in a few months. They didn't respond. So I sent a follow-up email that also went unanswered. Not sure what to do as I am already set to leave. Any advice? Well, good news is, is that it's in a few months. Very good news. What I would do is if you work in a professional environment and you have an Outlook email and your boss has an email, then you put it on the calendar. Create a calendar event. Say, Daniel, out of office. And say, I'm out of office this day. You send them the calendar invite. They accept it. They know it's on their calendar. You're going to be out of office. Consider that PTO accepted. Now, if you have a formal PTO submittal response, and it sounds like you have an email that you sent it to them anyways, so maybe that's what I do. But if, if you have some other process that you're supposed to follow where you submit PTO requests, what I would do is I would talk to your supervisor in person and say, hey, I sent this PTO request for a few months from now. And I haven't seen any response. I've sent two emails and I haven't heard anything back from you. Is there any reason why I haven't heard back from you? And they might say, oh, well, that's a few months in the future, so I can't approve it now. And you say, well, it's a few months in the future, so please approve it now. Or, you know, they might give whatever excuse that they want. And and then you kind of have to deal with whatever whatever reason they have. But what I'd say is that they haven't responded over email twice. 
maybe shoot them a text if you have that kind of relationship where you can text them. But otherwise, I'd just reach out to them in person and say, hey, hey, I sent you a couple emails. I'm going to be out of office for this. Can you just please respond and say yes? So that that way we have on our record that I'm going to be out of office and you're good with it. But I, I wouldn't make a big deal out of it. I wouldn't get too worried about it. They probably get a lot of emails and maybe a PTR request for time three months from now is either kind of crazy to them because like, yeah, duh, you're going to be off. That's fine. Or maybe they're like, oh, this is so this is like three months from now. It's not that important. So I'm going to focus on my day to day stuff. But I'd say if it's super important to you, just follow up with them again in person. You sent a couple emails, didn't work. So follow up with them in person and then take it from there. But I would not worry about it. Again, it's three months from now. But again, you wrote this four months ago. So hopefully you've already gone on vacation. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about it. All right. Next question. Do you think a manager should suggest someone to take a vacation if it seems like they're not? If you were a manager and it seemed like someone didn't take vacation very much, would you suggest to the person to take vacation? Or do you believe that's not something a manager should do? Yes. Managers should request should suggest that people take vacation. If I were a manager of people, I would make sure that my people took advantage of their PTO because employees, first of all, companies paying for it, it's built into their salary, it's accounted for. And my job as manager is to cover those gaps. So I want them to take vacation. And if they're scheduled their vacation and they all have it all planned out, then that's easier for me to deal with than a bunch of people at the end of the year trying to get vacation all at the same time. So I I would be encouraging people to take vacation in general because it's going to make the end of the year and the holiday season less of a coverage nightmare for me as a manager. And in general, yes, as a manager, you should be encouraging your people to take vacation because that time off is needed for employees to refresh and come back to work less burned out, more refreshed, and just the, the productivity will increase whenever people come back from vacation. For me, I just know that whenever I get back from a vacation, I am just always more energized. I'm happier about my work. I'm just, in general, a happier person. And th- taking that PTO definitely helps prevent burnout. Luke, my buddy Luke, is in the comments here talking about how important it is. He says managers should definitely encourage people to take their PTO, especially if it's an instance that you, when you do not use it, you lose it. Exactly. I want my employees to get all the compensation that they're due. And part of that is them doing their, taking their PTO. All right. I have a weird man at my front door. I'm going to go out here. Okay, I'm back. Just kidding. That was not a weird man at my front door. That was the delivery guy for our groceries. I just did not realize that they were delivering our groceries at this time. Why is this man taking pictures of my front door? Well, because he was taking pictures of the groceries to say that, yes, I delivered your groceries. So thank you, man. You're not a weird man. You're just a man doing your job. But yeah, in general, yeah, it's important to take your vacation. And what I'd say is if you're a manager, the best way to encourage people to take vacation is to take vacation yourself and then actually be on vacation whenever you do it. That will show your employees that there's a culture that pe- when you take vacation, first of all, you're supposed to take vacation, you're supposed to use your PTO, and then when you're on vacation, you're actually on vacation. And the other thing I do is encourage your people to take vacation and then cover for them and make sure they have coverage when they're on vacation so that they also can be on vacation. But yes, to answer your question, if I was a manager and it seemed like some people didn't take vacation very much, I would encourage the person to take the vacation. And I do believe it's something that a manager should do. All right. Last question. 
Can you tell that I'm tired? <laughs> Baby E is not letting us sleep that much, but here I am. All right, next one. My company wants me to sign a year-long contract or I have to pay $10,000. I've started working at a new company. During the interview, they said they'll be giving me training on the products that are supposedly worth $10,000 and that they want to employ me for a year-long period. And if I resign earlier, I'll be liable to pay the $10,000 back. I signed a probation contract that mentioned nothing of the sort, but I'll have to sign my permanent contract on Monday. Honestly, this feels sketchy as the training I got was regarding skincare products and natural supplements with no formal certificate that I was trained on the matter. I might get a new job opportunity in the near future, and I don't know how to handle all this. It feels like my rights are being violated. Any advice from me moving forward would be greatly appreciated. So this is just from the R jobs subreddit. It's not necessarily engineering, but I thought it was a good example to talk about on the podcast. If you don't like the contract, don't sign it. If you don't think it's, if you think it's sketchy, trust your gut. And here's what I'd say. If you don't, if the compensation is not enough to really keep you there for the full year, consider that $10,000 gone. Because if it's not a good enough offer that you want to be there for the next year, and also, I mean, we don't even know what the, the terms are. Maybe if they terminate you, then you have to pay the $10,000. We don't even know that, but maybe that maybe they'll do that and they'll try to claw you back for the $10,000 later. If, you, if you're sketched out by it, sketched out by it, then don't go with it. Now, I've heard of contracts where maybe somebody's on an assignment for a year and they get per diem. And if they don't stay for the full assignment, then they have to pay back portions of their per diem. That's pretty typical. And that's something I've seen in the engineering industry. Would I sign on to that? Not unless I really felt good about the company and I, I felt, well, as long as I am in, the only reason why I lose it is if I personally left, then, and there were outs like, you know, family emergency or whatever, whatever. Um, as long as I felt comfortable with the terms and felt like I was in control of my own destiny, then I would consider signing on to something like that. But if you're not making that much money, and it's in this person's situation for skincare products, sales, and you, there's no certification. You don't see anything, see any value in the training. And then they want to make you pay $10,000 if you leave. I would just say, cut my losses. I'm not signing this stupid contract. I'm not going to be bound to you for the next year. And I'm going to work for a company that's not going to try to nickel and dime me over the cost of training me uh, in the future. So if you don't, if you feel weird about the contract, don't sign it. And don't work for them. Uh, that's just that's just how I'd take employment contracts in general. Um, Luke says, definitely be careful and read all contracts. If they offer you a signing bonus, see if it requires you to pay it back after a certain amount of time. Also be mindful of non-competes. Yeah, if you see a non-compete that says you can't work in the same industry, maybe that's some... Now, there, there, there are certain people that will say, oh, some of these things are not really enforceable. And I mean... Some companies, even if they are enforceable, won't really chase you on them. But if you're being asked to sign a contract, treat it like it's actually a contract and, and read those clauses and say, can I really actually deal with this? Can this, is this allowing me the control? And, and is this putting me in a situation where I could jeopardize my future? And if it is, then then listen to your heart and don't sign the contract and find somewhere else to work. It, a little bit of money here now is obviously really important, and I understand why you you need a job, but definitely don't get that job that locks up your ability to earn in the future. 
All right. Well, that was the Engineering Success Podcast, episode 45, take three. I am so sorry it took so long to shoot this episode, but you know, it's the first one in a new space, but we got the we got the technology set up now that it should be a little bit easier. I'll, I'll get this thing edited out, distributed to your favorite podcast platforms where you're giving me five-star reviews that if I see them, I will read them out on the podcast. Again, you can write into me at daniel at engringsuccess.com, and you can see everything there is to see about the podcast at www.engringsuccess.com. Again, this is your premier career podcast for engineers and other young professionals. I am your host, Daniel, and I'll catch you in the next one. Thanks. I'm miscommunicating. I just made a pilot, then they threw me on the stations. Now I'm not complaining. Now I'm not complaining. My thoughts get complicated. I cannot explain in lameness. Never losing focus because I ain't chasing payments. Still playing in the basin while I'm working on arrangements. They heard the kid in 50 countries. Thank God that's amazing. But I'd rather thank Spotify. They put me on the stations.